Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all our churches day, Bluntstown, Chifley, and Mariana. Hey, before we jump into our conversation, though, for today, uh, I just want to kind of pause and celebrate with you what you allowed God to do through you as a church to be for our communities. Two weeks ago, we invited all of you at all of our churches to give $4 to bless homeless children in our schools. And here is how you helped our schools and our communities provide uh, benevolent support and resources for all of the homeless students. So Bluntstown, you gave $2,874 for your schools. Shipley, you gave $2,214 for your schools. And Mariana, you gave $6,307 and 78%. And we appreciate the 78 cent for a total of $11,395.78. Yeah, celebrate that on all of our campuses, absolutely. But not only did you do that, you also provided a bunch of supplies as well. In fact, we have some pictures here of just some of the resources and supplies that you brought in. And so thank you again, because here's the thing that we believe as a church is that as followers of Jesus, we absolutely should be known as a church for our no-strings-attached generosity generosity because that's what our Lord and Savior Jesus was known for, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And you see, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so if you love, you're going to be generous. And I think the church needs to be known for that. So thank you for being a church that helps people understand that God is for them because they begin to ask questions like, why are you for us? And it helps us have that conversation about, hey, God is for you as well. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, whatever you're going to take some notes on today because we're going to dive in the second part of our series entitled Nav Plan. And last week we began this series by introducing the simple idea that everything has a starting point. Like you had a starting point, your career had a starting point, your romantic life had a starting point, your parenting, your recovery from that addiction, everything has a starting point and your faith has a starting point as well. So in this series, we're hitting the reset button and we're asking if we knew nothing about God and faith and we're starting or starting over as adults, where would we start to explore faith and to experience a vibrant faith? Now, here's the reality. The challenge with doing that is that if you're a person of faith or you used to be a person of faith, at some point in your past, your faith had a starting point. You picked some beliefs. Maybe as a child, uh, you picked up on some beliefs or from your church, you picked up on some beliefs or from a pastor or from your parents. Beliefs like things like God always answers prayer or God rewards good people and he punishes bad people or God always heals people who have big enough faith or God is real whenever I can feel him because I can feel him, I know that he's real. And those beliefs, some of those beliefs, they form this framework for your faith. And they work pretty well, right? Until you got older. And then education began to chip away at your faith and life experience began to blow up your framework for what your beliefs were. And that's not uncommon. In fact, that's not unusual. What we've discovered around here as a church is this, that oftentimes students as they get older and especially adults, they need a new starting point for their faith. Now, it's not that what we were taught as children was bad. It was an appropriate starting point for us as a child. But it was never intended to sustain us as an adult. So we have a lot of people who are in adult world and their faith is a child-sized faith. And they're experiencing adult-sized issues. So how do we deal with that? 
Well, we learned last week there is a much better starting point for adults who want to explore their faith. And that's where we're starting our conversation today. And so to help all of us hit the reset button, what we're asking is this. If you didn't know anything about God and faith, where would you start? I just want you to imagine for just a moment. Imagine you never heard anything about Christianity. Imagine you never, ever read the Bible, never, ever attended a church. You never heard any of the Bible stories. Like, where would you start as an adult if you didn't know anything about the Christian faith? And it's a question that the Apostle Paul, that he would ask wherever he went as he was starting churches, as he was addressing churches. And for the Apostle Paul, the best starting point was not, do you believe that the whole Bible is true or do you believe in the literal six-day creation or do you believe how the flood happened or that it happened? Like all of those are interesting discussions and they're important discussions at some point along your faith. But they're not the best starting point for your faith. In fact, what we learned last week from the Apostle Paul is where we all should begin is with a very powerful question. And it is this question, who is Jesus. Now, that may sound like a really simple question, but I can tell you, it is the starting point for your faith because what we believe about Jesus determines the kind and the size of faith that we will have. Don't miss that. What we believe about Jesus determines the kind and the size of the faith that we will have. And if you missed that last week, I recommend that you go back to our website or app where you can watch or you can listen. But before we answer this question, who is Jesus? We're gonna come back to that in a week or so. Some of you are like, really? Yes, we are. I have to introduce a couple other topics into this conversation that are foundational if you're going to have a strong, vibrant faith. Now, this topic that we're going to introduce today, or the word that we're going to introduce today, is a word that nobody likes. It's a topic that nobody wants to talk about. And actually, most of us, we work really hard to avoid this conversation. But the truth is, because we avoid this topic or this conversation, most people who call themselves followers of Jesus have a very lukewarm, complacent, and a very weak faith. In fact, avoiding this topic is why so many Christians are living with guilt and shame and all kinds of secrets in their life. It's why we hide our struggles from each other. It's why we live in isolation rather than entering into a healing community with other followers of Jesus. But here's what I can tell you. You can't have a conversation about having a mature, adult, vibrant, growing faith without having this conversation that we're going to have today. You can't have a vibrant, growing faith without addressing and being real about this issue and the impact that it has on every one of our lives. Now, if you grew up in church world, you, you probably are very familiar with the topic, but it's most likely not in a very healthy, life-giving kind of way. So you're saying, what is this topic that we all need to address, that we all need to think about? What is this word? It's the issue of sin, now, what's interesting about sin is it's become an exclusively theological term. Like we talk about sinning against God, but we never use it in any other way. Like your parents probably never said to you, honey, you just sinned against your mother. 
You know, you, you never heard a boss call you into their office and say, hey, I need to talk to you about your expense report. I think you just sinned against our company, you know? Or, or when the police pull you over, they don't look at you and give you a sin citation, right? So, so we really only talk about sin in the context of a religious conversation. And, and let's just really be honest there's a tendency in every one of us to avoid this word or thinking about this word as much as possible because of how heavy it feels or all the weight and the guilt and the condemnation that we often feel when we think about the word sin. So in our culture, especially in church world, we've adopted a different word to use. We prefer the term mistake. Because see, mistake, it doesn't sound near as serious as sin. I mean, like, sin feels so judgmental and so condemning. Mistake, doesn't it just feel so much more understanding? See, sin, it leaves me no wiggle room. Mistake, it lets me pass the buck and brush off the consequences. Now, here's the thing. Nobody at any of our churches raised your hands, but think about this. If I had started this message off today by asking you to raise your hand if you ever made a mistake, would you have raised your hands? Yep, we all would have, right? You're all like kind of shaking your head. Yeah, we would. As a matter of fact, we'd be worried if we didn't raise our hand that people would look at us and think that we were kind of arrogant. But what if I just walked out here today and said, Raise your hand if you've ever sinned in the past, multiple times a day, yesterday, this morning. Here's what I know, all the people at all our churches on the front row, they'd be looking over their shoulder thinking, I wonder should I raise my hand because I don't know if anybody in the back is going to do that. <laughs> but let me just say this. Our avoidance of this topic of sin actually creates a very big problem for all of us because there's a big difference between a mistake and a sin. A mistake is the result of insufficient information. A mistake is the result of a miscalculation. A mistake is when a high school student makes a miscalculation in an algebraic equation. A mistake is whenever you go to the grocery store and you're thinking you're buying the real ice cream only to discover when you get home it's gluten-free and sugar-free and everything else free. It's all that non-dairy stuff. Like, why would you even make this, right? If you're going to eat ice cream, let it make you sick after you eat it because it's going to be good when you eat it, right? <laughs> okay, I got an amen out of that one. Listen, a mistake is when you're following your GPS and you turn right one street too soon. Those are mistakes. And here's the thing. The thing about a mistake is you can correct it. You can fix it. You can redo it. A mistake, don't miss this, is not premeditated. Don't miss what I just said there. A mistake is not premeditated. But let's be honest. Isn't that what you're doing when you sin? See, some of you, 
you're making mistakes on purpose. And that's not a mistake. In fact, for some of you, you plan your mistakes in advance, don't you? That would make you a premeditated mistaker. (laughs) And there's another word for that. Like some of you are repeated mistakers of the same thing. Like you did or have done the same thing over and over and over for one year, two years, three years, five years. And then somebody just keeps calling you out and you look at, I just made a mistake. I just made a mistake. Come on, we all know better, don't we? Some of you have mistakes stashed all over your house. They're hidden in your house from everybody else to see. Some of you have even planned how you're going to make a mistake next weekend or this week. Well, what do you call that when it's a premeditated mistake? It's what we call sin. And here's the thing. You can't correct that. You can't fix that. You can't redo that. Sorry doesn't take sin away. So here's the thing. If you're ready to start or restart your faith to grow it into a mature, adult, vibrant, life-giving faith, you have to address this issue of sin in your life. You can't go very far in your faith journey before you have to address this question. Like, why do I not do what I know I should do? Why do I do all these other things that I know I shouldn't do? Because here's the thing we have to realize. You can't fix a mistake. We've also kind of realized that we can't fix us either. You, You can't fix you, right? You've tried. You've tried to correct you. You've tried to correct your spouse. You've tried to correct your mother. You've tried to correct your dad. You've tried to correct your son, your daughter, your boss, your friends, your coworkers. You've tried to correct everybody. In fact, some of you, you've paid $100 plus an hour to have somebody to correct you, and you're still uncorrectable. You're still making premeditated mistakes. Some of you have been educated on how uncorrectable you are. You spent time in prison or you were on parole. And then even though you know the decision you're about to make is bad, you do it anyway. And the question is, why would you not do what you should know when you know what you should do? Like, what's wrong with you? If you know what's best for you, why don't you do that? Why would you do something that's going to hurt you and you knew in advance it was going to hurt you? Not only that, but what do you do? This is some of our stories. What do you do after you've gone for a couple weeks doing the right thing? Like you, you're correcting you. Like you haven't had a drink in two, three, four weeks. Or you haven't used your credit card in an irresponsible way in like a month or two. Or you haven't used any bad, foul language in like a week or two. And then what do you do after you've been working on correcting you? You tell yourself, man, I've been doing so good in the past two weeks, I owe myself one. (laughs) Like how crazy is that? You know, that, that just goes beyond sickness and sin to insanity, right? Like, so maybe there is more to this than just a mistake. Maybe we're not mistakers. The reality is, I think, 
if we're honest with ourselves and we wanna have a strong foundation for our faith, we have to admit that we're sinners. That maybe this idea of sin reaches farther out than just the four walls of the church on a Sunday morning. Because see, in a simple term, here's what a sinner is. A sinner is anyone who knows the difference between right and wrong and chooses to do wrong. And when you look at that definition of a sinner as anyone who knows the difference between right and wrong and chooses to do wrong, what does that make all of us? It makes all of us a sinner. And it's not just talking about actions as we're gonna see from scripture today, it's also about our attitude. Some of you know the attitude that you have right now in life is wrong. And you continue to hold on to that attitude and live with that attitude. You know the actions that you did this week were wrong. Some of you in the last couple days, Friday night, Saturday, some of you this morning on your way to church, you had attitudes, actions that you knew were wrong, but you chose to do them anyway. See, our sins are really fresh. And to dismiss those as just mistakes creates a really big problem for developing strong faith. In fact, let me help you understand this a little bit more by kind of reversing the roles for a second. When someone sins against you and they call it a mistake, how well do you react? Somebody has an affair on their spouse and they go, oh, that was just a mistake. Like, really? No, you premeditated that. that. That's not a mistake. Like you chose to do that. That's not a mistake. So when somebody sins against you and calls them a mistake, how do you react? Well, it doesn't sit well with us. You, you know why? Jesus told us why. See, what Jesus taught us about sin, as we're gonna see in just a moment, is he says, here's what happens. A mis- a mis- excuse me, sin always breaks relationships. Don't, make, don't miss that. Sin always breaks relationships. Mistakes don't break relationships. Making a mistake on a math problem doesn't hurt a relationship, maybe with your parents. But um, here's the thing. Making a mistake on a math problem doesn't break a relationship. But here's what I know. Sin always breaks does. So whenever I sin against you and I only call it a mistake, what am I doing? I'm communicating to you that my relationship with you is not that important because I'm acknowledging to refuse that my attitude and my actions broke our relationships. That's why Jesus always talked about sin from the perspective of restoration, not condemnation, because it's about restoring relationships. And this is so important to understand. The reason some of you run from acknowledging that you are a sinner is because at one point in your life, you were taught by a pastor or you were taught by a parent or you were taught by a priest that God is out to get you because of your sin. So you started your faith with the framework of sin is all about condemnation. You have been running from Admitting that you have been a sinner ever since because you have seen sin as this condemnation thing for God. But as we're gonna see, Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. 
I'm not talking about sin to condemn you. I'm talking about sin because it's the only path of restoration for you. So as long as you hold on the idea that I'm just a mistake or that it wasn't that bad, it was just a mistake, he's saying, you're never going to mature, you're never going to be restored to God or the other people in your life. Here's why. Because mistakers never seek forgiveness. Mistakers think they can self-correct because, see, mistakers don't think they need forgiveness. But if you'll acknowledge you have sinned, what it does, it opens up the door for forgiveness and restoration with God and with other people. This is why when Jesus talked about sin, he never dumbed it down. He never lowered the bar on sin. He never minimized the impact of sin. He never said, oh, now here's what I know. You're humans. You're not really good at this sin thing, keeping from sin thing, no big deal. I know that you're only like 18 or 28 or 38 and you really never had like a good mentor in your life, a good example to live up to. No, 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 no. Jesus never came along and made excuses to lower the bar. In fact, when Jesus talked about sin, what did he do? He raised the bar. He raised the bar so high that it was so obvious to us that none of us could clear that bar, that we're all sinners. In fact, Jesus looked at you and I and he said, listen, you have no idea how sinful you really are. You have no idea how depraved you really are. And because we didn't understand that, Here's how he explained that in the Sermon on the Mount. If you got your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were the professional religious do-gooders of the first century. They were the ones who prided themselves on doing everything right they were the perfectionists when it came to keeping the law. I mean, they were, these were like the most religious, strict, adherent to the law people that the culture had. And Jesus looked at every one of those people and he looks at every one of us and he says, listen, unless you can live better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, then you're out if you're trying to do it on your own. And then to drive his point, he gives them this example. Look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment or damnation. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister, meaning anyone who God created, will be subject to judgment. And it's the same damnation as the word judgment for someone who's a murderer. And they're likely sitting there like many of you are saying, Jesus, do you mean to tell me that if I have anger in my heart towards somebody, that's equal to murdering them physically? Do you mean to tell me that if I lose my temper and lash out at someone, I'm as guilty as if I murdered someone? And Jesus is going, absolutely, that's what I'm telling you. Because your anger just broke that relationship. Your anger, you just used it as a weapon to hurt someone. 
your spouse, your parents, your children, a co-worker, a fellow church attender, someone in your neighborhood. You just use your anger to hurt someone that God created, a daughter or a son of God. He says, so absolutely, you're subject to the same judgment as a person who murders a person. So if you've been walking around with anger towards someone all week, thinking that you're more superior and that's why you're angry, Jesus says, oh no, you're a murder in my eyes because that's not a mistake. You just sinned drastically, so much so that you hurt somebody I created. You just killed a relationship. Listen, to God, your attitudes are just as sinful as your actions. And we've missed this on our faith journeys, haven't we? Because we walk around piously pointing out how bad everybody else is while we're so angry at the world and we destroy our marriages with our anger and we destroy our relationships with our parents with our anger. We destroy our relationship with our children with our anger. We destroy our work relationships with our anger and we justify our anger because we're just mistakers. We're not sinners. And God goes, oh, if you've walked around with anger this week, and you've gave somebody a cold shoulder, you've been rude, you've been mean, you've not been open to that person. I'm just telling you, that's equal to murder. Just well, I've killed them. And we all go, man, we're really sinners. So you, before the sermon gets better, Let's just go a little deeper. Verse 27, he gives another example. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I'm sure the people looking at Jesus going, really? You gotta be kidding me. Now it's not just our attitudes, but it's also our thoughts. So you're gonna equate my thoughts with an action? Like Jesus, hang on, you can't be real about this because this is not just my thoughts about adultery or sex. This is my thoughts about anything about anybody, right? And Jesus says, oh yeah, I'm real about this. Because if you have any thoughts that devalue her or any thoughts that devalue him, in other words, if you have treated that person like an object for your pleasure, not a person that you value, he says, you're guilty. In other words, he's saying, if you have thoughts in your mind that devalue that person that God made, that diminish that person that God made, that thought is equal to if you just went up there and punched them in the face, or even in the illustration he gives here, if you had taken advantage of him through the act of sexual activity. Now, you, you can read the rest of the sermon for yourself, but it doesn't get any better. But by the time Jesus is finished, we're going, oh, any attitude, that's equal to action. Any thought, that's equal to action. I mean, I'm sure the crowd that day is thinking, well, Whew, probably what a lot of you are thinking. Well, then we're just doomed. 
I, I've had bad attitude all week toward my spouse, my parents, my, my children, my coworkers. I've been angry with people and I've justified my anger. I've had bad thoughts toward people. But we all thought we were good because I didn't act on it. I'm sure those people out there think, man, if that's what it takes to go to heaven, some of you might be thinking this, like, there ain't none of us going. If my attitudes and my thoughts and my actions are, all, are equal to my actions. And what Jesus, Jesus comes along and says, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now that you've acknowledged that you are a sinner, let's talk about why I'm here. Because Jesus comes along, he says, because here's the thing, I'm here for restoration, not condemnation. In fact, here's how Jesus described it to the Pharisees in John chapter three, verse 17. Here's what he said. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus says here, I'm not here on a condemnation mission. I'm here to restore relationship with God. God sent me to win you back, not pay you back. But that's not all. Notice what he says in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now, this is very important, meaning when we talk about the word believe is that that word believe has a lot of action to it. It's not just, oh, I believe there's a God. No, 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 no. Believe has the idea that I acknowledge that I am a depraved sinner in need of a savior. And I come before Jesus and I accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his death and his resurrection for my sin. Because I'm not a mistaker, I'm a sinner. And I choose to follow Jesus with my life from this day forward. And Jesus, I'm asking you to renew my mind, my thoughts, and my attitudes so that my relationship is restored. And it's in the moment that I come before God and say, God, I am a sinner in need of a savior and I need you to transform my life because I am so depraved. You see my attitudes, you see my thoughts, you see how many relationships I have killed, not just in my lifetime, but this week because of my attitude and my thoughts. Jesus says, when I bow before in repentance of that, there's no condemnation. It's complete restoration. But notice the last part of the verse, because this is a big warning. He says, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Meaning you're, you're condemned already because mistakers, they don't think they need forgiveness. Mistakers think they can self-correct. So if you think that you can self-correct, that I can make up for what I did or what I said or how I acted, that I'm somehow not doing something over here that's making up for all of that. No, no, then you're seeing yourself as a mistaker because a mistaker thinks they can self-correct. So they miss out on the forgiveness that is offered to them and they don't give forgiveness to other people because only forgiven people forgive. Now, now I know this is obvious, but you can never experience restoration until you acknowledge that you need to be restored. And see, this is why a lot of us that's why a lot of us have this really weak, carnal faith. Because we've never came to God and said, God, I am a sinner in need of a mistaker, or in need of a savior. Instead, we've come before God and we said, I'm a mistaker. Because mistakers, they don't acknowledge that they need forgiveness. Sinners know how depraved they are and they need forgiveness. And when it's recognized that we need forgiveness, we understand that then restoration can become possible. 
Listen, here's a point. When you think about Jesus and you consider starting or restarting or jump-starting your faith, here's what you have to understand. Acknowledging my sin doesn't put me on a path to condemnation. See, not acknowledging my sin puts me on a path to condemnation. But acknowledging my sin doesn't put me on a path to condemnation. It puts me on a path to restoration. Listen, this is the whole point of everything that Jesus taught. So listen, if you grew up in some kind of religious system that taught you that acknowledging sin was about condemnation, that system wasn't listening to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm here to restore you. I'm not here to condemn you, but to be who I created you to be, to have the relationship with God and the relationship with other people that he wanted you to have. You have to acknowledge where you currently are. You are a sinner in need of a savior. Think about that. You have broken your relationship with God and self-correcting will not restore that. Hurting the people that he created and he died for on the cross will not self-correct that. Chalking it up to your human, everybody makes mistakes, everybody has a bad day, everybody has a bad attitude every once in a while, everybody has bad thoughts every once in a while. God says, no, 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 that doesn't correct that. Listen, God says, if you'll just admit the severity of what you have done, you broke this relationship with God and you killed other relationships because of your attitudes, your thoughts, and your actions. If you'll just acknowledge that you are a sinner, he says, I'll give you a, what a mistaker never gets because they never look for it because they don't think they need it. He says, I'll offer you forgiveness and a restored relationship with me. So I don't know what you have believed in the past about what Jesus taught about sin, but this is Jesus' message. We are all sinners, desperate sinners in need of a savior. And I know it would be so much easier for you to walk out of here and go, nice try, Paul, but I think I can fix all my mistakes on my own. After all, I'm not as bad as that man I married or that woman I married or the parents I had or that coworker I worked with. I'm not as bad as that person. And you know what? You can have that option if you want to do that. You can do that. You don't have to take Jesus seriously. We're just in week two of this series. But I'm just telling you, as I've been talking today, you already know down deep inside that you have a much bigger problem than just mistakes that you make every once in a while. And down deep inside, there's just this nagging uncertainty in your, in your heart about where you stand with God. And Jesus says, that's because your relationship with me is broken. Because you have been justifying and you've been rationalizing and you've been minimizing your thoughts and your attitudes and even some of those actions. So you are separated from him. But Jesus wants to bring you back home. And the acknowledgement of your sin, the acknowledgement of my sin is not the end. It's the means to a new beginning. Acknowledging my sin is the way back to a relationship with God and back to a relationship with those people in my life. Why? Because it's only when I acknowledge my sins that Jesus offers me the gift of forgiveness. And it's only when I acknowledge my sin that Jesus then gives me the gift of grace. In fact, the longer I have walked with Jesus, the more I believe that those of us 
who follow Jesus, call ourselves followers of Jesus, we should be the quickest to acknowledge and confess our sin. I mean, after all, if we believe what Jesus said, that confession is the path to restoration, that for confession is the path to forgiveness, then we should see it as a freedom and we should see it as restoration instead of judgment and condemnation. And to experience that kind of restoration, today you have to stop saying, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Instead, you just gotta say, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I will no longer minimize, rationalize my thoughts, my attitudes. I won't say, well, it's just an attitude. If you knew what I was going through, you know I have this attitude. I won't rationalize and minimize that. I won't try to hide it anymore. I'm gonna call it what it is. Call it a sin. So I'm choosing today to live in your grace and your forgiveness. Now, we're gonna pick up back here next week. But in the meantime, let me give you a little bit of homework. Remember we said we're gonna have homework every week. So if you're in a small group, you may wanna do your homework with them, but here's the homework. I want you to think about or discuss this question if you're in a small group. Do you resist the idea that you're a sinner? And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I guess I can't anymore after today because I sinned all the way to church with my thoughts and my attitude toward everybody in my car and everybody who's driving up and down the road. But really, when you are by yourself and you're thinking about life and you're thinking about the other people that you're doing life with and you're thinking about your relationship with Jesus, do you find yourself saying, well, I'm not as bad as my spouse. I'm not as bad as my parents. I'm not as bad as my brother or my sister. I'm not as bad as the other people in my workplace. Do you find yourself resisting this idea that you are a sinner? Listen, I wanna tell you, owning this that our thoughts and our attitudes are equal to actions because they kill and destroy our relationship with God and others. And therefore they deserve the same level of condemnation and judgment. It is a very important question to answer, to navigate this journey forward. And when you're thinking about this, ask yourself, if I do resist it, why? Why, why do I do that? What, what is it that causes you to respond to this whole idea that you are a sinner in need of a savior? I want you to wrestle with that question because I promise you, when you come back next week, you're gonna understand this a whole, whole nother level and that is this. It's the starting point to helping you find a starting point for a vibrant or revitalized faith. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, just your straightforward talk to us. God, I, I just ask that you help us to be able to sleep, see with clear, clear spiritual eyes today. 
that we are all sinners in need of a savior, but admitting that is not the end. It's the beginning of restoration. That when you want us to see how depraved we are, how sinful we are, it's not because you want to condemn us. In fact, when you saw how sinful we were, how depraved we were, and you knew there was no way we could ever self-correct, you came and you died on a cross and you rose again, and you screamed from that cross, welcome home. I forgive you if you'll just accept it. So help us to come home today Kneel at the cross. And receive your forgiveness. Just admit before you daily that we are sinners in need of a savior. And God, I thank you for the restoration you're gonna bring in our lives. As you use your resurrection power, to restore us, not only in our relationship with you, but to restore us in relationships with people where our relationships have been broken and we've blamed them when in reality it was our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions that made us murder the relationship. God, I, I, for, I, I seek your forgiveness every day and, 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 and I just ask that we as a church will be that kind of church where we're seeking forgiveness constantly, not because we're condemned, but because we want nothing, nothing to stand in the way of our relationship with you and with others. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that as we lean into this, we begin to experience your grace and your grace is, our, is the gift of your power to change our lives. And so thank you for that transforming power through the precious blood of Jesus. We give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks so much for being with us today. See you next Sunday as we continue this journey together.